Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to The Rebellion, episode 21 of Radio Rebellion, a Star Wars podcast. I am, as always, your host, Alberto Calderon, and I want to take a few minutes, as always, to thank you guys for taking some time to spend with me this afternoon. I'm always grateful to have you guys either in the live chat, in the replay of the YouTube video, or just watching the podcast whenever it comes out on Monday, so when you guys get a chance to listen to it. I'm always humbled that you want to spend a few minutes hearing me talk about this thing we all love, which is Star Wars. Look at that. I Look what I do for you guys. I shave, got a quick haircut. Before you start calling the police, I didn't break any social distancing guidelines. I didn't break any stay-at-home orders. Um, although I do live in Florida, and they're shutting down restrictions quicker than Luke Skywalker shooting down womp rats. But my beautiful wife does my haircut. She's been cutting my hair for years. So yeah, did it here this afternoon. She can, I just want to shave your head. Uh, let's go for it. So at least it didn't go that far, but new haircut today. All right. So thank you guys as always for tuning in. And look who's here again, the official droid of Radio Rebellion. And after a search, it has a name now. The official droid is... 2R5WP, also known as 2R. So our little, I love this thing. This Imperial prop droid, everything moves. It's it's so beautiful. So yeah, it has a name. It will be showing up in all of our videos. 2R, if you have a question for 2R or for me, send it my way and I'll do my best in answering them. So again, thanks to everyone. I did post that question out on Twitter a few days ago to help me name the droid. Didn't get as much votes as I wanted, but doesn't matter. It is the Radio Rebellion Droid 2R5WP. If you haven't figured it out, 2R for Radio Rebellion 5WP Star Wars Podcast. But that's a very long name, so we'll go with 2R. So yeah, if you guys are ready, I am ready, and let's talk some Star Wars. Star Wars News. So last week, it was a lot of confirmed news with all of the directors that were confirmed for Mandalorian Season 2, Taika Waititi for the movies, and a lot of stuff we've kind of heard about, but were confirmed by Star Wars. And at the end of the week, there were a lot of rumors or more casting news for Mandalorian Season 2. And we got more, more, more. So as always, let's go to our one of our official news segments this week in Mando News. And first, let's talk about episode three of the Mandalorian documentary that dropped yesterday on Friday. This one didn't focus too much on the directors, but mostly on the actors and the characters they played. We got to hear from Pedro Pascal, Cara Dune herself, Gina Carano, and Grief Karga, Carl Weathers. And of course, the, the directors were there also at the beginning to talk about how it was working with those characters and with those actors especially, and Dave Filoni and John Favreau were there. So just a couple of quick things I noticed from, and I think I'm saying this every week, this show is going to be a little bit different than the previous one. So I think I'm going to stop saying that and just go with it, that every show is going to be different. If you've been tuning to those videos, listening to the podcast from when I started, even since last week, I do love my notes. I take a lot of notes before going online or going live. It's just the way I am. Take my notes, be prepared today, no notes. So I just have the topics I'm gonna go over and see what happens. So this might might be a 15 minute show because I have nothing to talk about, 
or a two-hour episode because I'm just rambling and rambling. So before that, let me see. I see a few people out in the podcast. I mean, on the live chat. So let's see. Of course, who else? But Anthony. Oh, thanks. I'll let my wife know. It is. I am looking sharp. Yeah, I don't want my hair kind of shaved because I think that gray hairs are going to start showing up. So I'll do this for now. Peter, hi. Hello. Thanks for joining. Uh, Eden Gray, as a wife who also does a husband circus, you look great. Thank you. Again, I'll let her know because she does like it. Nice droid, of course. Look at that droid. I can spend, I, I'm going to make an episode complete just talking about 2R. I just love that guy. All right. So let's go ahead and go back to the news. So I was talking about the, sorry, the Mandalorian kind of documentary, that third episode, and some of the things that jumped out to me. And again, I'm not going to do a full review. Again, doing reviews of documentary are a little bit difficult. So just a few things that kind of stood out. There wasn't nothing too kind of groundbreaking like last week with Filoni talking about the duel of the fates that it just took off. Everyone had a different appreciation for that movie after it. But a bunch of cool things. We learned that there's three actors playing the Mandalorian, Dean Jaren. We know, of course, Pedro Pascal doing the voice acting, which was great just seeing him talk about the character at the beginning, how the story is what brought him in. Because we all, Star Wars, Star Wars, we all just want to go to Star Wars and the big battles and lightsabers. But it's the story that brings us in. And as a fan, that's what he what he really liked about it. And seeing him do in the little, in the booth, it wasn't really a booth, it looked more like an actual movie theater where he's recording the voice for the Mando. And just hearing him deliver those lines using the Mandalorian voice, it's so important to grab that voice actor that can bring that character to life. And they said how important the voice is and how you deliver each line because you can't see the actor's face. So the way he kind of went through it was pretty cool. Again, we got to see the two stunt actors that also play the Mandalorian to know their different skill sets. That if, if it's shooting a gun, it's a specific, a specific actor doing those scenes. Anything that's actual hand-to-hand -hand fighting, hand-to-hand -hand comeback is a different actor. Plus you have Pedro Pascal doing the voice and sometimes also in the costume. So it's really cool to see that and also to give those other actors kind of the spotlight because we really don't do too much for stone actors. So it's great to give them at least a little bit of the spotlight. Um, Carl Weathers, what can you say about Carl Weathers? He's a great, great actor, he seems to be a great person. I know some people had a bit of an issue of the way he kind of said, yeah, if you're gonna hire the actor, don't put him behind a costume or behind a helmet with Pedro Pascal kind of right there. But I do love that he wasn't covered because his voice and the delivery of each and every one of his lines is one of the things I love more about that character, about Griff Karga. Especially, I think it was in episode three when Mandalorian comes in with the whole best cars armor through this little cantina boy setup. And Griff is just, Mando, Mando. Yeah, they're all looking at you because you did what they couldn't. Come, Mando. Yeah. It's the way he delivers every line is perfect. So I. I'm glad that they didn't cover that up with makeup, behind a mask or anything. But again, Star Wars, it is aliens and masks and cool armors. And Gina Carano, again, a new person to the scene. She's an actress, uh, MMA fighter before. This is where we all kind of knew her before. Um, she did Haywire, Deadpool. Honestly, I haven't watched Haywire. I haven't even watched Deadpool. So don't kick me off the nerd list because I haven't watched Deadpool. But just seeing how reserved she is in her acting talent, but everyone else around her kind of helping her get into 
the character into this world and kind of, no, no, you're a lot better than what you think you are. And I know before the Mandalorian premiered, even John Favreau was always very complimentary of her and her acting skills. So it's good to see others kind of helping people kind of help help them up, which I think in Star Wars fandom sometimes is needed uh, everywhere. I mean, just in life in general, but also in fandom. I think it's something I'm grateful for the people that I follow on Twitter and the people that follow me will always have everyone's back. And it's good to see that famous people, actors that are doing this that we love, that we love to in Star Wars, that also kind of help everyone else when they're kind of feeling down, don't feel confident about their abilities. Since then, I'll keep keep at it. It happens to the best of us, and you're getting a lot better on it. So, yeah. Oh, wait, Mando News. Where you went, Mando News? Of course, we're talking about you yet. All right, let me check what you guys are saying again on the comments. Uh, oh, so yeah, Peter, which is uh, oh Peter from the Transmission Podcast. Oh, thanks, Peter. If you are not following Transmission Podcast, go ahead. I'll make sure to do the same after we're done with this. So it was interesting to hear that Carl Weathers was originally planned to win the alien makeup. I can't imagine Griff Carga any other way than what we got. 100%. I agree with you, Peter. First time seeing you. Yeah, we get along. You're correct. Um, yeah. So, again, same thing. Yeah, he was going to be an alien, which would be cool. Again, aliens in Star Wars are it's one of the most kind of important not important things but what makes star wars star wars is all the different aliens that we see and the alien design is extremely important in star wars i think it was bryce ellis howard mentioned that when she met with kathleen kennedy she said that you have to be careful in star wars when you create new characters make sure they have a silhouette when you see them from afar that you know oh that's han solo even if it's a human but that pose that silhouette that he Kind of makes Boba Fett now is a Mandalorian, but before, if you see that from afar, you know that's Boba Fett, Chewbacca, all those people. Even see three PR to read to R two, two R's. You see that silhouette that that is Star Wars. And if you're careful, you go too far into the fantasy side or too far into sci-fi, that it doesn't feel like Star Wars. You get a it's that little magic space, and I think they did a great job on it. All right, so that was basically it for no one more thing. Very. <laughs> interesting for again this is why documentaries are so cool to see and why a lot of us that love star wars like to see the behind the scenes is hearing Fabro and filoni talk about the initial sorry the initial camera test that first day that they had all these people in big costumes big helmet big alien faces and they start shooting that first scene and they couldn't get the guy in the Mandalorian suit to sit down. The alien couldn't see from behind the mask because it was too big. And they're like, ah, oh, this is not going to work. We just saw this as a great TV show. And we pitched it. They bought it. And now it's not working. Uh, Filoni kind of going, yeah, I could just draw this so quickly, doing animation. The guy would just sit there straight in the seat so easily. And now it's not that. So seeing that people so talented like Fabra and Filoni have some of the issues that we all probably go through was was something. All right, yes. Yeah, you're right, Anthony. All this. Oh, wait. Yeah, I know. Thank you. Uh, yeah, what it takes. You think, I sometimes, as again, as fans, we think that we know how things should be. Sometimes we get, oh, that, especially in movies, saying that movies, because TV shows, there really hasn't been another one. We see a character and we, oh, it would have been better if that character was an alien. Or it would have been better if they had him speaking an alien language instead of basic. 
But that's it's easy to say that after the finished product, we don't know how that production went. Maybe that character or that actor couldn't get the dialect, couldn't work with the prosthetics or the costumes. Even the alien language didn't work out. So sometimes the decisions made behind the scenes are for the best. And we as fans can always criticize and give our thoughts, but with always in the back of our head that the people that are making this are just as passionate as all of us. So what they're making is hopefully the best decision at that point. All right, so more Mandalorian news, and here we go again. Casting news for Mandalorian season two. One of the few notes I made, and this, this is not even a note. This is all the casting that has been either confirmed or rumored, rumored so far. I'm gonna read it in a few minutes. So I thought I'll just say it off at the top of my head. No, there's too many characters already. But again, like I just said, the people doing behind the scenes, they know what they're doing, so we gotta trust them. So yeah, there are a lot of characters. I trust that they know what they're doing. But new rumors, probably not confirmed, but is that Boca Tan, played by Katie Sackhoff, will be making her live action debut in season two of Mandalorian. And that's of all the casting rumors out there, I think that's the more, the most kind of the, the not, it makes sense. Uh, last person to wield the dark saber, Bo-Katan. Uh, we just saw her in Clone Wars season seven very prominently. Um, we're dealing with Mandalorian and Mandalorian culture. A lot of the Mandalorians got wiped out or something happened to them in the sewers when Mando goes back and it's only the armorer over there. I still believe, and this, we'll see. I think we're gonna see who's behind the helmet, the armorer her helmet. And after watching season seven of Clone Wars, I think is Ursa Wren, Sabine Wren's mother, just because of the voice. The voice actress for that season, for those episodes, sounded a lot like the armorer. I didn't go back into the, the production, see the cast and the credits. So I don't know if it's mentioned. I know it's a different character that, Sorry, a different actress that plays. Sorry, it's hot here in Florida today. I'm sweating inside my room. It's a different actress that plays the actual armorer, that the one that does the voice in Mandalore in Clone Wars. But who knows? They sounded very similar. Again, age is the thing. I didn't go and check back all the canon timeline, how it fits. I know some people have also said it might be Sabine playing the armorer. I think this the armorer is too old to be Sabine, but maybe her mother. And again, Bo-Katan makes sense. Yes, bring her in. If Mando needs to go find some more Mandalorians and, and the Darksaber is in play, we don't know how Moff Gideon got the, the Darksaber. Bring Bo-Katan in. You bring the Clone Wars and everything behind it, all the Mandalorian culture behind it. Then we have the great debate again, why doesn't Mando and the other Mandalorians remove their helmet when Bo-Katan and all those guys did during the Clone Wars and in Rebels. So we'll see. And then we also heard possibly Sabine Wren also making her debut in Mandalorian Season 2, along with Ahsoka and maybe Captain Rex following Clone Wars Rebels, and then Sabine and Ahsoka in Mando Season 2. Uh, Sabine is another one that makes sense if Ahsoka shows up. Last week, so both of them, they left together we believe to try and find Ezra and Thrawn. I can't believe I forgot Grand Admiral Thrawn's name for a second. Sabine, I mean, Ezra and Thrawn in the unknown region. So it does make sense that if Ahsoka shows up, that Sabine is there with her. If it follows the timeline, again, we don't know what's, what's happened. Since they left at the end of Rebels to the unknown regions, we don't know 
if this is before or after season two of Mandalorian. So we'll have to wait and see. Uh, the one thing that I didn't like too much about the rumors, and again, everything is rumors, is that Ahsoka and Sabine will show up in one episode, which is fine. Again, if Dean Jaren is looking for Jedi or the crazy wizards, I think that's what the armor kind of call them, to deliver Baby Yoda, the only two out there that we know of Earth 3 Custodians, I guess Cal Castis. I haven't played Jedi Fallen Order, but I do know he's around. You have Luke, it won't be Luke, and then you have Ahsoka. So it does make sense that he finds Ahsoka as a Jedi to bring Baby Yoda to him, to her, and then you have Sabine with her. So one episode, fine, show her, and then do something else. What I kind of struck me as a little weird is that don't make their live action debut for one episode and then jump into the Rebels animated sequel. In my opinion, you don't cast someone as Rosario Dawson for just one episode, 20 minutes or whatever, and then put her back in live action. At that point, use Ashley Eckstein that we all know and can relate to as Ahsoka if you're just going back to live action, to animated form. If it's one episode there, and then it goes to the Ahsoka live action TV series, then yes, that makes sense. Again, just my opinion. I don't know why you would not waste, but we've all been waiting for Ahsoka live action for so long to just use in one show to then jump back to animated. To me, it seems weird. But again, I'm not in Lucasfilm. I don't know what they're cooking behind the scenes. They're doing things years and years in the future. So they know what they're doing. I'll trust them. And then finally for Mando News, well, I think this came out yesterday, that Timothy Oliphant is also rumored for a spot in Mandalorian Season 2. Um, if you don't know about Timothy Oliphant, he justified is the one that comes to mind for everyone. Again, it's a Western. Mandalorian is a Western samurai show, so it does make sense for someone of his talent to come to this show. Um, my first kind of introduction to Timothy Oliphant was, I think it's Die Hard 4, that he plays the villain in that movie. And I did really like him. He did play it pretty well. And Santa Clarita Diet, if you haven't seen that show in Netflix, it's a great show. It's a sadistic, not sadistic, it's a weird comedy, zombie comedy. He plays it great. He has a great comedic timing. He's a great actor. So it's a great addition to Mandalorian. My thing is, I go to my little list. So these are all the characters that are either confirmed or most likely gonna appear. So we got the Mandalorian, Baby Yoda, Cara Dune, Griff Karga, Moff Gideon, Mayfield and the other bounty hunters, Fennec Shan, Michael Bean, which we don't know who he's gonna be playing, Boba Fett and maybe Captain Rex played by Tamura Morrison, who knows if more clones, Ahsoka Tano with Rosario Dawson playing her, Bo-Katan with Katie Sackhoff, Sabine Wren and then there's rumors of uh, Professional wrestler, I think her name is Sasha Banks that might portray her. Why not Tia Sakar? It depends age-wise. And then Timothy Oliphant. That's 14 characters already kind of confirmed for Mando season two. Is that enough for a show that if it's the same as season one, eight episodes between 30 to 42 minutes, is that too many characters, not counting other returning characters or new characters that we don't know of that are not famous kind of names? Or can we see a longer season or longer episodes, which I hope eight episodes is still fine, maybe closer 45 minutes to an hour, and then you can expand on all these characters. So what do you guys think? Let me know, is it too many characters, just enough? Let's trust what they're doing. 
I think that's the one. Let's trust what they're doing. But yeah. So yes, Anthony Emily Swallow does play the armorer in Mandalorian. There's it's a different character, sorry, a different actress doing the voice in Clone Wars. But to me, they sounded really similar. Maybe that she just kind of modeled her voice after Emily Swallow. Or maybe I'm just hoping in my heart of hearts that it is Ursa Ren. And yes, this is the most important ones. Rumors until Lucasfilm says otherwise. So we can, as, like I said, hypothesize in hyperspace all we want, but until we hear from Lucasfilm, we know nothing. Way too many? Yeah, they may, may be way too many. You're right, but I don't know. I've also heard that Boba Fett will have a very limited role in season two and then either a bigger role in season three or maybe his own show. If you know me, Boba Fett is my guy. I've always loved Boba Fett. I don't want a Boba Fett show. I think if he's in one at tops two episodes and he's done with Mandalorian and we're done with Boba Fett, we kind of redeem him from the original trilogy, then we're fine going on. I don't think we need everything else with Boba Fett. He's a mystery character. Let's have a little bit more with him. And let's keep going with new characters, new eras. Yeah, there's a lot of crazy rumors, Eden. You are completely right. And then it's not just rumors and then articles and more people start talking about it. And then rumors become reality in other people's eyes. And then someone doesn't show up or they caught or they don't know what they're doing over there. So until we hear from Lucasfilm, it's not confirmed. Yeah, let's trust Lucasfilm, the story group, Dave Filoni, Favreau, Kathy Kennedy, everyone over there. Let's just trust what they're doing. And if season two comes out and it sucks, then it sucks. I don't think so. All right, so that's it for Mando News, this week in Mandalorian News. And this is another one that, again, if you've been following, following this show for a while, I used to do three types of news, and this falls on the third type, which it came from the unknown regions. I've only heard this, I think, from one or two places, is that Natalie Portman might make her return to Star Wars in the Kenobi series. What? Um, I don't know. Um, she kind of swore off Star Wars. She did the same with the MCU. Now she's back for Thor, Love and Thunder. So maybe all that got intertwined and mixed into the same rumor report. I don't see her coming back to Star Wars, but who knows? I would love for Padme to show up again in Star Wars. Natalie Portman is a great actress. She suffered during the, the prequel trilogy, maybe not getting the best direction, but she is a great actress and Padme is a great character. It's my daughter's second favorite, sometimes favorite character after Rey. So if we can get a little bit more Padme, that'll be great. Uh, only way to do it is through flashbacks, obviously, but with the rumor from last week that Hayden Christensen might make his return as Anakin. Then maybe you start putting things one and one together and who knows, maybe. So at first I kind of said, nah, people are just throwing names because everyone's been mentioned. Let's just say that Pat Namidal is coming back. All right, so if she's coming back, how can we make this work? And I created my own little pitch in my head. So I'm gonna do that to you guys now. And Sorry if you don't like it. Again, I don't write for Lucasfilm. Maybe after this, they'll give me a call and I can quit my day job. They won't. So what if, and I know there's been a lot of what if series out there and comments. What if the first episode of the Kenobi series starts with in a flashback, basically with Kenobi, Anakin, and Padme on a regular day, just shooting the breeze, just talking. It's, nothing out of the ordinary, I mean, for Star Wars. So they're not in this big battle or anything. They're just having a nice day, 
everything is calm. They're just talking, having a good time. Basically, what we didn't get to see too much in the prequel trilogies, we got a little bit on of it during the Clone Wars, but kind of separate because Obi-Wan didn't know what was going on. But in season seven of Clone Wars, we did see that Obi-Wan at least kind of figured something was up between the two of them. So maybe the three of them just having a nice conversation or something. And then Anakin and Obi-Wan get called out to the Outer Rim sieges or where we catch up with them in season seven in an access, maybe going over there. And then it comes to real time with Obi-Wan in the large homestead talking to Owen and to Beru. Luke is, I don't know, is there school in Tatooine? Luke will be what at this time? Um, six, 15 years old, more or less. This is five years, six years after Revenge of the Sith. So actually he's six or seven years old. Is there, are there school in Tatooines? Is there kindergarten, elementary school? Maybe he's, of, I don't know. Luke is somewhere else. And then Obi-Wan is kind of talking to Beru and Owen kind of, and this is the last time that Anakin was happy or the last time we kind of saw him being himself before he turned to the dark time, blah, blah, blah. And then the show kind of starts that way. So I think that would be kind of cool, just having a, a quick scene or that, that first episode, uh, nice flashback to better times with Anakin Obi-Wan and Padme. So who knows? Do you guys want Padme to show up in the Kenobi series? Do you, have you heard about this? Did I just see read a wild, so, something that someone wrote and took it as a rumor? So just let me know if you guys think this is a possibility, if you want to see Natalie Portman back as Padme in the Kenobi series. All right, and the last kind of news report that we have is more casting news for the Cassian Andor Rogue One prequel, and this falls into more, yes, thank you, same as last week, we heard that Mon Mothma was coming, played by Guinevere Riley, and now we have reports that Bail Organa, my man Bail, doesn't get the recognition that he deserves, Belo Gana played by Jimmy Smith and General Draven, I gotta look the name, played by Alistair Petrie, Petrie, Peter, Alistair Petrie, General Draven and Belo Gana are coming back for the Cassian Andor TV series. Yes, yes, yes. So no brainer. If you're going to have Cassian, you're going to have Mon Mothma, you need to have Belo Gana there. Uh, General Draven, great character in Rogue One. Peter did a great job acting behind it. So yeah, bring them on. Again, it gets closer to that scene that at least I want. Mothma, Bale, um, uh, forgot his name. Saw Guerrera and Enfys Ness having a quick scene, the four of them, when Guerrera and Enfys kind of go their separate ways, at least Guerrera kind of, no, I gotta be more militant, and Bale and Mothma trying to hold him back. Oh man, if we get that scene, just 10 minutes, five minutes of that conversation, the four of them forming the rebellion in four at least three different ways of thinking how it should go. Yes. So again, I've said Kenobi is my favorite character, my favorite Jedi, one of my favorite characters in Star Wars, but I'm more excited for the Cassian TV show and what it can do for Star Wars. Just something totally different. We all love Rogue One or most of us love a lot of it. And there's so much you can do with that Cash and TV series, not just showing the birth of the rebellion, seeing how people live, kind of live their lives under the empire. People that just have a day job working for the empire, knowing the decisions that are being made behind the scenes. There's so much that can go happen with that show. So yeah, I do. I am very excited for that show. Just one more year. 
So let's see, Ethan, you say I want Natalie Portman in any Star Wars again. I do. I hear you. Again, it's it's difficult to think about it because she's dead, not Portman. Um, Padme, but she did a great job. She's a great character. We are getting more with Padme. We have we got Queen Shadows novel, and then we're getting that prequel, Queen's Gambit, I believe it's called, coming out soon. So again, maybe they're putting more Padme out there for everyone. The response for the first novel was great. I do have it. I do enjoy it a lot. We learn a lot about the handmaidens. I will see this new one. So yeah, if you get Natalie Portman, you can have her portray the character again. It's great. Again, just trust Lucasfilm, trust the story group. Peter, yeah, only time will tell. Uh, Padme could be in that scene too with the four of them. Yeah, you're right. Oh, Eden, you got me now. Maybe it's not for Kenobi. Maybe it's for the ah, it's something. Uh, people forget how important Padme was in that formation of the rebellion. So if we get a scene with, maybe again, it can be in the Kenobi series, a flashback of Padme, Bale, and Mon Mothma talking about the rebellion. I know it was cut from Revenge of the Sith, so have a similar scene. Yeah. Yeah, she's dead for Rogue One, but they can do even... A flashback in Kenobi can be a flashback in Rogue One. Sorry, in the Kenobi in the Cassian Andor series, uh, Bale and Mothma kind of remembering Padme and then having a conversation similar to what happened in the deleted scene from Revenge of the Sith. It can work. It can work. Yeah, she is. Yeah, Padme. You gave us the twins. All right, so I think that does it for the news. Any other news I kind of miss? I don't think so. It wasn't a big news week. Just more Mandalorian rumors. It's like every single day, Mando, Mando, Mando. Mando, come over here. But that's fine because we all love Mandalorian. The more we get, the better. All right, so that does it for the news section. And now we go to special section for this week, which is favorite master. An apprentice Jedi. I was thinking there's so now that Clone Wars is over, um, we keep thought and there's there was a lot of talk this week on Star Wars Twitter about, about what if what if Qui-Gon Jin live? He wasn't killed by Maul, and then he's the one that trains Anakin. It's not Obi-Wan. Does Anakin, Anakin turn to the dark side with things will be different? And that's a completely separate story. No, they won't. Anakin is the chosen one. He had to fall to come back and redeem himself, be the chosen one. So it doesn't matter. Uh, but yeah, that's a totally different show we can do at some other time. But I started thinking, what are people's favorite Jedi and apprentice or Jedi and Padawan combinations? And yes, I put master because we know Anakin is not a master. So I had just so boom, burn. I don't know, just something old joke I wanted to try. So anyway, I put out a poll out there kind of saying, who are your favorite? Not the best, because that's a separate conversation. Who are your favorite master and apprentice Jedi parents? So I put out Qui-Gon Jinn and Obi-Wan Kenobi, Obi-Wan Kenobi and Anakin, Anakin and Ahsoka, and I couldn't forget Kanan and Ezra. Ooh, excuse me. And for me, I think this is gonna be Obi-Wan and Anakin are the favorites. They're gonna run away with this one. Some people vote for bait for Anakin and Ahsoka because Clone Wars just ended. Everyone's still feeling that high, but Anakin and Obi-Wan are just gonna run with it. 
and it did kind of start that way. Anakin and Kenobi, Ahsoka, and Anakin. And they went. And surprise, surprise, Anakin and Ahsoka won the favorite master and apprentice Jedi combination. Um, I think people are still pretty hyped up about the Clone Wars finale. It was a great finale. Those last four episodes were awesome. The last shot of Vader just kind of walking in the snow, picking up the saber. Everyone was so hyped, and I think the hype is still there. Um, but it was surprising to see the, the two of them win and not Obi-Wan and Anakin. And not even that, they didn't come in second place. Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan came in in second place. And then Sabine and Ezra got a few votes. So at least they didn't say at zero like those first 10 hours. No one voted for them. But it was a pretty easy win. So I'm just going to talk real quick. Let me check what you guys are saying before I talk about all those groupings real quick. Clone Wars spoilers. Oh, sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry. I've seen the two episodes. Should I? No. I'm sorry. I won't talk anymore about it. So uh, hopefully it wasn't too much of a spoiler. Just they're great episodes. So I won't go back into it. Um, yeah, just the poll. So Peter is also Anakin and Ahsoka. All right, so let's talk about the parents real quick. So again, I'm didn't make didn't do any big kind of research behind it, just kind of talking. So Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan kind of Qui-Gon has kind of a bit of a resurgence. I was gonna talk about this later also, but people always throw Qui-Gon under the bus because he didn't do that much when he went to Tatooine in terms of saving the slaves, he saved one. But if you read the Master and Apprentice novel, there's a little bit more behind it. And I'll talk a little bit about it afterwards. But I think Kenobi that we all love, a lot of us love Obi-Wan Kenobi. He wouldn't be the Jedi that he is without Qui-Gon Jinn. He learned a lot from Qui-Gon. They were very different. But he learned to be the great Jedi that he is and follower of the Force from Qui-Gon Jinn. So I think that grouping deserved a little bit more love than what it got. Um, and Obi-Wan and... Anakin, I mean, it started in episode four when old Ben is talking to Luke and he's telling him about Darth Vader. He used to be my apprentice, so he was a great, a great Jedi, great friend. And then, of course, we have the clone, the Attack of the Clones, Revenge of the Sith, and then we learn so much about both of them during the Clone Wars TV series. So, what else can you say if you're looking for Master and Apprentice? Is Obi-Wan Obi and Anakin. The problem was Anakin saw him as a father. We see this in Attack of the Clones when he needs to go search for him. Oh, he's like my father. Obi-Wan saw him as a brother, which still, it's that's fine. But that relationship was there. Anakin learned a lot from Obi-Wan, surpassed Obi-Wan, and that kind of, like he says, oh, Obi-Wan is holding me back. I should be further along. I'm a better Jedi than he is. I should be doing more. So they always have this conflict between them, but there's so much that they learn from each other. We still see, we keep seeing this as we go through Clone Wars all the way to the end. And can you say, I mean, Obi-Wan is a great Jedi. It's to me what a Jedi should be, the way he composes himself in all the difficult situations that he is, the way he deals with Maul at the end of Rebels. This person, I said this before, this person has killed everyone, basically, that that Obi-Wan has loved. Sabine, um, 
Qui-Gon and is there to kill Luke, who's kind of Obi-Wan's last job as a Jedi. And that's when he kind of, no, I got to do something. But he doesn't have any ill will against Darth Maul. And Anakin, what, I, we need two hours to just talk about Anakin and all the great thing he's done as a Jedi. But again, same as Obi-Wan learned from Qui-Gon Jinn, Anakin learned a lot from Obi-Wan. And sometimes that was what's the problem. He wanted to do things different than most Jedi's, the way kind of Obi-Wan saw himself and saw the Jedi order and the Jedi principles. And I can, of course, as the chosen one destined to fall, kind of decided to do things a little bit different. But if you had the two of them in a battlefield, you know, you, you had the win in your pocket. There's nothing that was going to happen. Nothing was going to go. I mean, things were, were going to go wrong. But at the end of the day, they'll find a way to come out on top. So I think, at least for me, that's my favorite pa pairing is Anakin and Obi-Wan. But then we jump to Anakin and Ahsoka. Ahsoka was thrown on Anakin's feet as this young Padawan that no one wanted, no one at the time. Anakin wasn't ready to be a master, a teacher for a new Padawan. He's given these little kids, punky that doesn't really. I don't know what is it that he um, they just don't get along. They get along because she kind of is similar to him in the way she acts around people and kind of not taking just orders like Rex says, "Good soldiers follow orders." Ahsoka asks questions, so yeah, you tell me to do something, tell me why. I'm gonna ask you why. So Anakin sees her himself a little bit in her, and then he doesn't treat her the same way that Obi-Wan treats Anakin with a lot of those kind of Jedi teachings. He's very protective of her, but at the same time lets her be her own person, her own Jedi, and they kind of have that bond between them. So it is a great pairing. They do complement each other real, really well, and Anakin always has her back. We see this all the way throughout the Clone Wars. So it is a great pairing. I do understand why people did vote for her. Uh, like you guys are saying, Peter, here, that they are your favorite pair. Uh, nothing against it. I think a lot of people voted for it because it's still fresh in everyone's mind. The Clone Wars and Ahsoka has won a lot of fans over, not just from her introduction, but this past season and then all the rumors about her show and all this stuff. She's getting a lot of more fans. The way she was portrayed this last season was great. I did have an issue in the middle just because it was different from what we know about her from Rebels. But she's a great character. Anakin and Ahsoka do pair up pretty great. So yeah, it is a great Jedi pairing. And finally, is Kanan Jarus, Caleb Dune, and Ezra Bridger. Another. This is a another group that was thrown together by necessity that neither of them knew what was going to happen. I haven't read New Dawn or the Kanan not, uh, comic books, just from Rebels. I do know a little bit what happens. His master was killed during Order 66, so he has to hide away. He's not, can't say that he's a Jedi, so he's basically in hiding from what, since Order 66 to right about five years before A New Hope. So that's, I can't do math right now. It's about 10 to 12 years hiding your powers. And then you run into this kid that's trying to steal your shipment, trying to steal the stuff that you're trying to steal, and then noticing that he has some force powers, and then having to reveal to the world that you are a Jedi, one of the last Jedi, and having to train this kid who doesn't really do well with others. He, he lost his parents really early age. You now he's been living by himself in Lothal. He's brought up into this family with the ghost crew, and they have been 
Kanan, as um, Sabine, and of course, Hera as the mom of the group. So it's a very difficult situation for both of them. Um, Kanan didn't have enough time to learn from her master, to, from his master to now be a Jedi master, a master teacher, basically, to this new kid, which if we follow Star Wars kind of learn um, way of thinking, is too old to start Jedi training. Actually, they say that too often, but some of the best Jedi started very old. Anakin started old, Ezra started old, older, six years old. Ray, of course, that's the Daya, so that's a bit different, but a lot of great Jedi in Star Wars do start their training a little bit older than what, I guess, what was the norm before then. But Kanan and Ezra, again, it's a different grouping. We didn't get to see too much of them, just four, four seasons, that's pretty, a lot. But four seasons of Rebels, we haven't seen more. Maybe we get to see more of Ezra. But we see the growth in Kanan as a teacher, not just to Ezra, but also to Sabine when he started training her using the Darksaber. And the way, I wouldn't say too much in terms of Rebels spoilers, but the way he kind of saves them in that one scene with the explosion and everything else that happens before with with Kanan, with Maul, Eyesight, and all that. Kanan is a great Jedi that was put in a position as a teacher to a new kid that had Force powers. So it was a weird situation for both of them, but they do, did do a good job and, again, started the rebellion. So great. All right, so that kind of does it for our quick look at those Master and Jedi pairings. So our final topic, and I'll go real quick about with this one, is the re renaissance of Qui-Gon Jinn. So I think since a couple of weeks ago, but mostly last week when we heard the great review from Dave Filoni about the Duel of the Fates and what it meant for Anakin and Qui-Gon as his father figure, everyone started seeing Qui-Gon again as this great Jedi. I've always loved Qui-Gon. I think he's gotten the shaft a, a lot of times when we're talking about Jedi. He again, it's all oh, he lost against Darth Maul, who was just a Sith apprentice. Um, he saved Anakin but left his mother in slavery. Why didn't he do more? Come on, he didn't see this. Qui-Gon, you're, you're not the best. I've always loved Qui-Gon. I love his resolve, how, how calm he is, especially in that duel of the fates when the not blaster doors, but the red beams. I know Anthony's going to correct me in a second what those are called. Uh, with those clothes and you have Maul on the other side just banging at it, getting ready. And Qui-Gon, calm, peace. Let the force in, get your surroundings. So that's what that's what I love about Jedi. Just when they calm themselves and let the force in, and Qui-Gon does an excellent example at that point. Uh, let me see what you guys are saying before I keep. Um, Rebels is your favorite Star Wars animation, and um, so I did. It took me a little bit because Rebels does have some episodes that kind of go off, as everything has. Not every episode is for everyone. But once it gets going, that first season takes a little bit because we're used to kind of Clone Wars. There wasn't a lot of Star Wars at that point when Rebel came in. But halfway till the end of season one, it really picks up and then it just goes and the last few seasons are great. I think season three is my favorite, but season four has a lot of great stuff on it. So yeah, you're not wrong. A lot of people do love Rebels. Um, yeah, I do also want to do uh, Rebels rewatch real soon. Uh, here it is. I knew I, I can count on you, Anton. If I ever do a Star Wars trivia, I won't tell you. So I don't want to. I don't want you to embarrass me. Energy gates. Thank you very much. 
So yes, where was I? So Qui-Gon Jinn's Renaissance. So a lot of people are now talking about Qui-Gon and what if, what if Qui-Gon didn't die? What if he survived that duel with Maul? He didn't have to tell Kenobi to raise Anakin or train him as a Jedi. And then Qui-Gon is the one that trains Anakin. Would, would things turn out different? Uh, we know that he wasn't as strict in the Jedi kind of philosophy like Obi-Wan and Yoda and Mace Windu. We see this throughout Phantom Menace. We hear when Obi-Wan tells him, don't defy the council, not again. And if you read Master and Apprentice, which is a great book by Claudia Gray, I got to go back because I read it once. I got to go see it, read it again. We learned that Qui-Gon didn't feel that connection with Obi-Wan. They weren't meshing. He believes that Master and Padawan should have this mental connection to know where everyone's going to be, what moves someone's going to make, so you can kind of counter it. And they weren't at that point. So he feels that he's failed um, Kenobi as a master, as a teacher. He wants to kind of, maybe he needs another master of give me someone else. And then they're sending to this mission. I forget the planet that they go to. But again, there's another slave situation we learn. And not, I'm forgetting a little bit about it, but how Jedi are not police. They're not the FBI. They're not all these people that work tracking down traffickers and stuff like that. So how much can the Jedi get involved in actual issues around the universe? Can they save every slave? Can they go to every person who has a problem with someone and deal with that situation? What are Jedi there for? So he's thrown into this kind of weird place where he still needs to help the slavers and one character in particular, but not get too involved in everything else that's going on. And then he meets, and we get a lot of Qui-Gon and, Count, and Dooku before the turn, before Dooku kind of leaves the Jedi Order. There's a lot of flashbacks how both of them love going into prophecies, but Dooku saying, don't get too deep because that's how people turn to the dark side. They read prophecies. They think they can predict the future. They try to control everything. Control leaves to the dark side. But there's a balance, like everything. There's a balance. So that's, that was great to see that. He then meets this other Jedi that used to be Count Dooku's apprentice before Qui-Gon Rael Avaros, I think his name was. And that's another Jedi that doesn't believe in anything. <laughs> Let me repeat. A Jedi that toes the line in what a Jedi's behavior should be when they're off in unknown planets, which will be interesting to see when the High Republic comes out. Because they said, how do Jedi behave when they're off on the wild space or place, place that people haven't gone before, where the wild west, basically? I have this Jedi Ryle that just having sex with random people over there, having all kind of getting drunk and all this stuff. And Qui-Gon, for Qui-Gon, that's too far, too far uh, to the side. So we learn a lot about Qui-Gon in that, in that novel. And it kind of gives us a perspective of why he doesn't see eye to eye with the council, why he wants to train Anakin, why he believes so much in the prophecy of the chosen one and a bunch of other prophecies. So it goes into building this character a little bit more than what we're used to just by watching the Phantom Menace, which at least for me at that point is still a great character. But yeah, after Filoni came and said what he said about Duel of the Fates, people started kind of talking a little bit more positive about Qui-Gon Jinn, and I do love it. Is there another reason you guys think that Qui-Gon is kind of getting recognition again? Do you guys like Qui-Gon Jinn as a Jedi Master? What are your thoughts about it? If you're out there in the chat, let me know. 
If you're watching this on the repeat, just let me know in the comments. If you're listening to the podcast when it comes out on Monday, send me a quick tweet. What are your thoughts about Qui-Gon Jinn? Uh, so, Peter, yeah, just because Anakin didn't have a father figure, I wonder if his attachment wouldn't still be preyed upon by Sidious. I don't know if Anakin would have been too different. Me too. I'm with you. Um, Anakin, he was the chosen one. Even if Qui-Gon did survive, I think he will still be preyed upon by Sidious. His attachments will be there. He will still be in love with Padme, and that wouldn't change. Um, Qui-Gon wasn't too happy with Rael Avaros and his relationships that he was having as a Jedi, so I think he will still have issues with Anakin. And if you're destined to fall, it's going to happen anyway. So who knows? It's, it's something cool to think about, but I don't want a what-if series. I think Anakin, if Anakin was destined to fall, it doesn't matter who was his teacher at that point. So even Gray, I honestly feel like Quagun would not have survived long after the battle with Darth Maul anyways. Yeah, he does throw himself into a lot of risks, like no other Jedi. I think he would have served the same purpose to both Anakin and Obi-Wan eventually. So I do, yeah, again, Qui-Gon didn't think too much about it. He jumped into every crazy situation that he saw. So there was a lot of things happening. Maybe, like Count Dooku said, if Qui-Gon was here, he, he will help me. And Obi-Wan kind of dismisses that. But Dooku and Qui-Gon were, were close. They both believe in prophecies. I don't think that he would have gone to the dark side. But if Dooku does tell Qui-Gon that the Sith the Dark Lord of the Sith has control of the Senate and the Republic. I think he was listening a little bit more. And who knows at that point what Anakin might have done if he survived that long, Qui-Gon said. So we'll see. Yeah, Anakin will still follow his dark path. Again, if ah, that's what makes Star Wars so great. We can all, we have so many ways it can go and we will talk about 20 different versions, but in the end, Anakin was destined to fall. And that's what makes him such a great tragic character and a great redeemed character also. So that does it for our Qui-Gon Renaissance and our kind of main topics that we're talking about. And now go to one of my favorite parts of the show. It's Ask the Rebellion. And this is where I post on Twitter if you guys have any questions to hit me up. And I did get a couple. I have three questions to go over. So let's go. And if you guys on the chat have any thoughts about any of this, feel free to jump in. So first, from a certain point of view podcast, at certain POV pod, Josh and Adam, they write, if you were to start a non-Star Wars related podcast, what would it be about? Oh man, I think I've thought about this for a while, the days, months, and weeks ago. I've been, can I do something else? I've had people ask me when I told when I tell them, hey, I have a Star Wars podcast. Oh, is it just Star Wars or something else? Oh, it's just Star Wars. There's so many great Star Wars podcasts out, out there that it's kind of difficult sometimes to find that niche. But if ah, it's bound to happen, I just killed the rebellion. All right, we're back. I think, unless I no longer have a Star Wars podcast and do have to find a new one. Uh, so, yeah, so I've thought about just general kind of geek culture or pop culture kind of Star Wars, MCU, DC, all this stuff. But there's so much out there that it's difficult to cover it, every, all of it, and do a good service to it. Because I do Star Wars podcasts because I know a lot about Star Wars. I mean, I know I can talk about Star Wars. I, it's something that I've 
been it's been part of my life since I was basically three, as far as I can remember. So I can see even every day before, not every day, every time I'm gonna record a show, I'm a bit nervous at the beginning, but as soon as I hit play or record, I'm off. I can keep talking about Star Wars all day, every day. If I'm knowledgeable about something, I'll keep talking about it till someone tells me to stop. So that's the first thing. I gotta find something that I really enjoy and really like talking about to do it. So the other one would be Lord of the Rings. That's a lot of people that love Star Wars, love Lord of the Rings, and I'm in that camp. That original Lord of the Rings trilogy, not original, because original, I guess, is the animated. But the Peter Jackson Lord of the Rings trilogy is one of my favorite movies of all time, right there, neck and neck with Star Wars. Sometimes I think about which, if we're trying to be objective, which original trilogy is best. Sometimes it's not that easy to decide. So I do love Lord of the Rings. I do love The Hobbit. So can I do a podcast based on it? No, uh, there is not enough, unfortunately, after the movies that you can keep talking about it. I know we have the Amazon TV series coming, so maybe that does a little bit more. You can do a podcast that way. But I know the movies. I don't know the books. Um, Star Wars, you got movies, TV series, books, comics, video games. So there's a lot that you can keep exploring and talking about. The Lord of the Rings novel I read once or one point two times because I tried reading it the first time about I don't know 15 years ago I went to my brother's house in Boston and he had a copy and I started reading and I was like in page 120 and they were still in Bilbo's birthday and I, I can't I can't do this it's been over 100 pages they still haven't left the shire and no I put it back a couple of years afterwards a friend of mine gave me a copy because I covered for him on a weekend at work and he hey here you go and I sort of said, if I can pass the birthday, I'm gone. I can finish this book. It was a totally different experience. Reading the Lord of the Rings novel just brings out so much that you don't get in those movies. But I just read it once. So I don't have all that knowledge. I can talk about Lord of the Rings for a while, but not enough to do a podcast. So thinking about it, I do love fantasy. Everything has to do with fantasy and science fiction. But fantasy for me kind of takes a little step ahead than science fiction. So if I can do another podcast, it will be just everything fantasy. I guess Star Wars kind of falls into that place, Lord of the Rings, The Hobbit, uh, the dogma, his dark materials on HBO, the new Hobbit, um, Lord of the Rings series that will come on Amazon and any fantasy genre kind of movie or TV show that comes in. That's something I might kind of have. A, and I got to stop saying kind of. I'm sure my wife is out there counting how many times I say kind of. Uh, so if I could do a different type of podcast, it would be fantasy related. So thank you for to the guys to a certain POV pod for that great question. Uh, sorry for that noise. Let me see what you guys are saying out there. Yeah, I'm one of them. Yeah, who doesn't love Lord of the Rings? It's just... Uh, there's a podcast for everything. That's sometimes sorry, just... Decide that you have, I know, I know you. So you've, you listen to a lot of podcasts and sometimes it's hard giving every, everyone a shot or a couple of minutes to listen to. Again, this is going on for 55 minutes. Not everyone has time to sit down and listen to every podcast out there, but at least it gives everyone an outlet. If there's something you guys want to talk about, it's very easy to start a podcast or a YouTube channel like this, and then just start talking. Eventually you'll find at least one person that wants to hear, listen to you and that's enough. That's all we can ask for. Uh, so same. I also love Lord of the Rings. Let's talk about that Amazon series once it comes out. 
who knows, Eden Gray, maybe. Maybe we'll throw in a special kind of side side topic every once in a while. Let's talk about Lord of the Rings. Ah, see, everyone on this chat. That's why I love Star Wars community so much. I know if you go to Twitter, and I'm, like I said at the beginning, I'm grateful for the people I follow. I don't see a lot of the issues out there. I do hear about them. But the people that I follow, the people here on the chat today, we all have that positive vision. So I love it, man. That's why I love doing this. Even if sometimes I don't, don't get all the views that I want, when I get to talk to you guys and I just hear things like this, this is what keeps bringing me back. So let's keep doing it. All right. So how does this dogma show compared to the books? So I haven't read the books. Sorry. Uh, so I, I can't compare them because I haven't read the books. I've been tempted to buy them. I saw the original movie years ago with Nicole Kidman. It was okay, I guess. The series is pretty good. Um, the special effects are great. All the animals, the demons look awesome. Look, they look great. So I think they're, and from what I've heard, read is pretty similar to a book, at least more than what the movie was. So it does take a, some episodes are hit or miss. It's not too much. I think it's eight episodes. So if you have the time to watch it, I think you'll enjoy it. But again, I haven't read the books. If you're a huge fan of the books and it's not as faithful, then I don't know. But I do, if you want, if you like the books, I will give it a shot. I think it's worthwhile. All right. So our second question comes from the guys from the Geeks Right Back podcast. So I'll give a shout out real quick to Noah and Curtis again, because I, for our May the fourth episode, Noah from the Geeks Right Bad podcast, join us to talk about our favorite scenes in Star Wars. There are a new podcast. They only have about three episodes out, I believe. New episode drop on Friday for them. Uh, they talk not just about Star Wars, just general culture, life, and a lot of fun stuff. So give those guys a shot at TGSB podcast. So yeah, go give them a listen. So they said, if someone died in a living room, would it still be called a living room? So let me preface this by saying, when I asked on Twitter for a question, I said, send me any silly question. No one curries, you delivered. So yeah, no, I don't know. I think that, imagine being a, because I think you have to tell people if you're a realtor, if someone is killed or murdered in your house, you got to reveal that information. You might just, doing a showing to a buyer yeah so this used to be the living room and now we're walking into the kitchen whoa 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 what do you mean it used to be the living room that is that kind of the new phrase instead of like an open kitchen is used to be the living room and you have to try to explain to yeah yeah someone got murdered here let's keep going i guess the better question is would you guys buy a house that you knew someone died inside it and i guess it depends if it's natural causes Unfortunately, people do die in their homes for natural causes. So I think that's fine. I think a lot of us have done that, buying a house that someone died in, not dying of natural causes and then doing a podcast. So I think it's fine. But if someone is murdered inside the house, I think it'll be weird. At least walking through it every day, you'll be thinking, what happened? And you start hearing little, little steps. But is it, again, who came up with name for room, a living room, a family room, a sunroom? It's just a room. Grab a chair and sit on it. Every room in a house should be a sitting room. That's what we do. We sit in most rooms, watch TV, sit and have lunch, dinner, breakfast. So who came up, came up with all these names for rooms in a house? So I don't know. Would you call it? Yeah, no. 
Um, yeah, see, Anthony liked that question. He's, he's like, again, he asked for silly questions. Anything didn't have to be Star Wars related only. So I don't know. I don't have a, an answer for you. First one, yeah, of course. No. Can you call it a death room? So this is the death room of the house. You can sit five people on this couch. I don't think it would sell as well. So I don't know. Let's find out. Oh, no. Sorry. Strash that. I didn't say that. All right, so last question comes from the one and only who's right there in the chat, Anthony, a rural farm boy, fan of the show, great supporter of the show and everything Star Wars. So Anthony, as always, thank you for your support. And Anthony says, all right, I asked about helmets. What weapons your personal choice? A blaster, a blaster rifle, vibroblades, electrostraff, gadurfi, the gaffy sticks, or the kyotsu Kyotsu Pithars, which is what Dryden Boss uses. And those are cool, those knuckle blades with the red lining, that red energy. Do some Terrascasi to those guys. It'll be cool. I do love Dryden Boss. What do you call them again? Kyotsu Pithars. Those are great weapons. I'm not going to say yet, but I have something cooking with Dryden Boss in a couple of weeks. But my favorite weapon. And I told you I was going to bring a show and tell because you did show me your blaster rifle. Let's see if you can listen, hear this. You heard that. Here we go. The weapon of a Jedi. Look at that. How can you? Yeah. It's favorite. So, yes. Favorite weapon in Star Wars is a lightsaber. Um, I love everything about it. It's, it's something that makes Star Wars Star Wars. We have the music of course, discovered by John Williams and all the other great composers. Uh, X-Wing, TIE Fighters, you have the battle between good and evil, the Sith and the Jedi, and lightsabers. That, for me, is what makes Star Wars, not what makes Star Wars Star Wars, but one of the things that's iconic to Star Wars is a lightsaber. It's a simple design, but just a sound. I'm going to do it again, sorry. You know what that is. You hear that sound? Yes. Lightsabers. It's a reason I want to go to Galaxy's Edge on my birthday. If it opens again in two months, please. So I can spend $200 building my own lightsaber. I don't think I would do that for a blaster or any other type of weapon. So the difficult question is then what's my favorite lightsaber? Or what color of lightsaber is my favorite? And uh, you want to say I don't have an answer. I think blue kyber crystal is probably my favorite. I do love red, but I do consider myself a Jedi, so I don't want to go that far off with the Sith and a red Kyber crystal with a red blade. And also do like the black of the dark saber. Maybe not the design, it's a little bit, I do love the design, but not it's not my favorite. So if you can get something similar to a Jedi hilt with a black blade, I think that would be my favorite. Right now, oh, what's my favorite lightsaber out there? If you guys have a favorite lightsaber, just put it in the comments real quick. Sorry, on the chat, or in the comments if you're watching this later, or send me a quick tweet when you if you listen to this on the podcast. Um, my favorite lightsaber. I don't want to be because it's so new in my head, but the Ray staff saber is pretty awesome with a yellow blade. Darth Maul, of course, the double-bladed. I do love the Kylo Ren one. Oh, I can't pick. I'll pick. I'll go with this one. The Hero's Blade, the original one. I think it's still my, I don't know. I'm going to have to take a rain check on that one. I can't say what my favorite lightsaber hilt is. 
Um, Count Dukos is pretty awesome. Yeah, it's nice, right? I do love it. All right, so that does it for our show this week. Thanks for everyone that came out to the chat. Thank you, guys. I love doing this, and I love it 10 times more when I get a chance to talk to you guys. Uh, so thanks for, again, taking some time, an hour and four minutes. I think this is our longest show yet, and I did love every single one of you guys taking some time and talking with me some Star Wars. So as always, be safe, stay safe, and may the Force be with you. See you later, guys. Oh, wait. Here we go. Now. See you.